How precious for us are the last words of our loved ones. I remember listening to uh, President Ernest Kevin, the principal of the London Bible College, and uh, he said the last words of his father to him were, the great truths of the gospel, I have believed all my Christian life. I believe them yet. That's a great way to end your pilgrimage. And uh, the last words of Peter are recorded for us in his second letter and the end of the third chapter, where he says at the very end, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. His great concern at the end was that Christians should grow in grace. We're going to be praying together. We're going to be praying most of all for ourselves and others that we will grow in grace. Well, um, what does that imply? Well, firstly, it implies in uh, a growing concern for the needs of others. Um, the second great commandment is, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. How challenging that is. Um, the corn of wheat, has it gone into the ground and died? Has it? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Think of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he gave up himself. He died to ego because he loved us and gave his life for us. He laid down his life. He laid down his reputation. He humbled himself. So then, how is it with you this afternoon? How is it with you? Um, can I help you? Um, do you have some fear? Do you have some worry? What can I do for you? Do you know in your street where the struggles are, where the concerns are, in your congregation, where the fears, where the doubts are? Do you know? Do you have a concern for the needs of others? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Are you growing in that respect? Secondly, growing in knowledge. I take that in the simplest possible sense, a literal mental grasp in our minds of the teaching of Holy Scripture. It may seem elementary, but it's absolutely basic. First thing that the Christian puts on is the girdle, the belt of truth. And we must pay heed in terms of spiritual growth, progress in our grasp, our familiarity with the teaching that God has taken such pains to give to us, the system of Christian doctrine. It's all very well talking of the perils of a dead orthodoxy, and that is a real peril. But let's... Uh, Avoid an itch for the great controversial doctrines that men love to fight about. Let's watch that spirit and let's make a conscience of growing in our understanding of the teaching of the word of 
of God so that we are familiar with it. Every one of you ought to be familiar with the doctrines relating to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his deity, his humanity, his incarnation, his three states, pre-incarnate, humiliation, exaltation, three offices, teacher, great high priest and lamb of God, and our shepherd king. You ought to know the doctrines of God's sovereignty, of justification, of adoption, of sanctification, that they are the truths that sanctify. And if we are to be growing Christians, we are to be growing intellectually, theologically, in our grasp of this teaching and in our love for it, in our emotional response, in the doxology that we meet in all the great hymns from the Psalms through Luther's hymns and then Wesley and Watts and Top Lady right through until the great contemporary hymns. So that is the second way that we are to seek to grow, to grow in knowledge of God and his word. Thirdly, we are to make progress in conscientiousness. That is, in our response, in our obedience to our own consciences. Um, you have the, God's great monitor of our conduct and of our behavior. That voice that says, don't, or that says, do. Well, how is it between you and your conscience? Are you careful to educate the conscience? Because the conscience can be in darkness. And there are consciences, and Thomas Boston says, they are too pernickety. They condemn what God's word does not condemn. They let pass what God's word condemns. They are less sensitive than they should be. We must bring our consciences constantly under the word of God and be corrected by it. You know, there is a sundial and it's set up in such a way that the shadow that the sun casts on the dial will tell you quite accurately what hour of the day it is. But on a bright moonlit night, there will be a moon shadow on that sundial. And it will give you a totally wrong estimation of what the hour is. Because it's not a moon dial. It is a sundial. And our consciences are not to be read by the light that comes from the consensus of human opinion. Or what all our friends are thinking of or wanting. But our consciences always must be brought into subjection to the word of God. Uh, and there is no greater peril in the Christian life than to make our emotions the touchstone of our duties. To wait for a moment of inspiration before we pray. Before we do what God commands us to do. And again, are we conscientious about the small things? It's one of the real marks of growing in grace 
that we pay careful attention to matters of detail. And the Lord's highest commendation goes to men and women who are faithful in little things. It may not seem to you to be at the door of a particular church at a certain time on a Sunday or on Wednesday night at the prayer meeting. Only a small thing to be at meetings, only a small thing to keep certain promises, to write certain letters. But if we are going to make progress and grow in the knowledge and grace of Jesus Christ, then we've got to listen to our conscience. Fourthly, we've got to make progress in victory over besetting sins. So often you meet a Christian and he's held in the grip of a spiritual abnormality. And the only way he's going to grow is when he gains victory over those besetting sins. It is quite possible to be completely normal in your Christian life, in your Christian emotions, in your affections, in your will, in every part of your life, except one. And there you are in the grip of one temptation, dominated by one lust, entangled in the meshes of a certain particular sin. You find it in the world around us. It's called monomania. Perfectly sane people in every area of their lives, except in one detail. And there are Christians in the same position. And we all know something about it. The sin that so easily besets us. And um, we might think, ah, it's such a mystery that I'm not growing. But is it a mystery? Is it so mysterious? Is the reason why I'm not growing because I'm diseased in one part of my life and I'm content to let that disease thrive? You know, you can have 99 points of your life in good working order, but there is that one point that is letting you down again and again. You must deal with it. Worldliness, prayerlessness, irritability, impatience, pride, aggressiveness. You must deal with that. You must gain victory over besetting sins. And fifthly, we must grow in evangelistic earnestness. It's good to hear you talking of open-air meetings outside the Berlin in Gloucester, or going into Greenville with a group of people and giving out leaflets and tracts. You take the young convert. He has such a sense of the love of God and the greatness of his deliverance and a sense of the world's need and that Christ is a great savior. And you know what happens? The older people smiled to one another. Uh, they may even sneer in cynicism. They think that these are evidences of immaturity. Well, much of it is immature. The witness unwise, 
indiscreet, ineffectual. And yet that does not justify a Christian as he matures, growing less bold and less adventuresome as he reaches out to a dying world. That's a maturity we could well do without. So is it with you as once it was in terms of evangelistic concern? Are you prepared as you used to be of getting involved in every evangelistic cause? Are you prepared to support it, to give to it, to cooperate? There is no doubt that there is in the church today worldly evangelism, misplaced evangelism, blind, unbiblical zeal. But we have no right to stand back and point the finger and criticize. There's only one thing that we have the right to do, and that is get involved in every form of biblical outreach. That we regain the vision that looks at the city and weeps over it. So I have said to you that the last words of Peter are, grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have pointed out to you five ways in which we are challenged in scripture about our growth, that we are making progress in our concern and love for our neighbors, that we are making progress in growing in knowledge of the Holy Scriptures, that we are making progress in our conscientiousness, that we are making progress in our victory over besetting sins, and that we are making progress in evangelistic earnestness. And how is it to be achieved? Well, it must be your priority. It must be the greatest thing in your life. And you know that your soul will not take care of itself. You have to nurture it and nourish it. And uh, you have to feed it so that it is healthy and that it grows. And you have to give yourself to that. It, there has to be a program of care, a detailed, meticulous provision for your soul, or it is not going to grow. And you must make every effort. That's what the NIV translates it as. Make every effort then to grow. Be diligent, the authorized version says. Fill your heart and life with the love of the Bible with a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, come to prayer meetings. Um, come to gatherings where you can talk together about how good God is to you. Um, these are the things that lie before us always. Um, we as Christians grow in community, in fellowship, in discussion, in counsel. Um, may God bless us. May we all be a growing fellowship of Christians by growing individually.
ourselves and don't simply pray, Lord, use me, but pray, Lord, make me usable. Make me one who grows in the grace and knowledge of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.